Hello everyone and welcome back to Local Legends with Lark Farley. I'm your host Lark. A little bit about the podcast if you're new here. Basically, every Sunday I share with you all stories that took place in my small hometown, Brown County, in Indiana. These stories range from true crime to the paranormal and everywhere in between. If you'd like to share your own hometown stories, you can share those with me by emailing me at locallegendswithlark at gmail.com. As always, all of the articles used in today's podcast will be linked in the description below should you want to check those out for yourself. So I will, before today's episode, say and give out a PSA that this episode is a cold case. It's true crime. And as such, we're going to be talking about more mature audience-related materials, such as crime scenes, depiction of violence, uh, sexual assault, murder, and how that was conducted. We're going to be talking about serial killers. We're going to be talking about all of those such things. So if these are things that you are not comfortable with or you find triggering, I would highly recommend skipping this episode as we will be diving into all of those topics in today's story. There are plenty of other episodes now. This is my 32nd episode of the podcast uh, that you can check out that are not crime related. But anyway, for those that want to stick around and listen to this episode, we're going to be getting into the murder of Anne Harmeyer. As I said at the top of the episode, it is a brutal case. It is a very graphic case. It is a very violent case. So how I'm going to be conducting this episode, much similar to the other previous cold cases that we've covered before... I'm going to be just breaking down the timeline of the beginning of the events, the people involved, the victim, and then going through the case, uh, the evidence, the facts that we know as of today, and then what will be a little bit different about this episode instead of the prior ones is that this is a cold case. It is also an active cold case, which what that means is it's being actively investigated by investigators to this day right now as we speak. And so there have been some more details that have come out a little bit more recently. Unfortunately, the perpetrator of the crime, the murderer, has still not been caught and we still do not know or have an identification for that person. However, there are a list of suspects of who might be responsible for this crime. In particular, one person we will be covering today the serial killer. So what I'll do is when we get to his role or possible role in connection to this crime, to the death of Anne Harmeyer, I will be going through his history, what crimes he did prior to this, and how he kind of fits into the timeline of Anne's death and how he might be connected Anne's death. Let's just start from the beginning and we'll just go through it together. There are a lot of articles related to Anne's death. There are a lot of Just a lot of information, so I won't be reading from any direct sources. I've kind of done what I've done in previous episodes where I just try to piece everything together to create a consistent, a little bit more coherent timeline of just the basic facts. So if you want to read more on this case, there are a ton of materials and articles out there to uh, dig through. Let's start with the unsolved murder of Anne Harmeyer. Now, Anne Harmeyer was a 20-year-old, very talented and highly admired student at Indiana University Bloomington. So I'm going to pause here. If you're not aware of the surrounding areas, Brown County is located, like I've said, in Indiana, and it is a very small town. 
However, it is very close to a much larger town, a college town called Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington, Indiana is about a, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 minute drive from Brown County. So they're very, very close in proximity to one another. And Anne was a IU Bloomington student. She was training and studying to become an actress. When Anne ended up not showing up to a rehearsal, this immediately raised some red flags and caused her fellow theater members to worry. Unknown to them at the time, Anne had been murdered. She fails to show up to rehearsal. She's never late. She's always on time. She's very involved with the theater program and fellow students. There was a rehearsal. She didn't show up. Everyone kind of freaked out, couldn't get in contact with her, and they reported her missing to the police. Anne was officially reported missing to police on September 12th after she had failed to show up to a rehearsal on the IU Bloomington's campus. Police would go on to find Anne's Pontiac Lemaine's vehicle two miles north of Martinsville. So Martinsville is about a 15-minute drive per the highway from Bloomington. And honestly, it's fairly close to Brown County in some weird way, you know, where it's like you can take a back road from Martinsville to Brown County and get there in about, I would say, 20, 25 minutes. So not too far. So they found her vehicle two miles north of Martinsville, and the car was located on the shoulder of State Road 37. That road, if I'm remembering correctly, takes you to Brown County, if you stay on that road. Police reported that her car was empty and locked, and that the car had a faulty thermostat. So yeah, her car was just on the side of that highway, that State Road, empty, locked, and faulty thermostat. Now, this key detail is important because then from there, from having seen that the car has a faulty thermostat, investigators were able to, you know, kind of see that Anne's car presumably broke down. So now the question is, okay, her car broke down. She's on the side of the state road. Now, where is she? What happened? Well, 36 days later, from her car being discovered, Anne's body would be discovered in a cornfield in Brown County. Now, this cornfield that she was found in was probably on the outskirts of Brown County. There's not a specific location that was stated in any of the reports or investigation, um, at least that I could find. But it was in Brown County, and I assume that Brown County-Martinsville kind of line. It was an extremely rural area that was stated several times in several different articles that her body was discovered in an extremely rural area of Brown County in the middle of a cornfield. Anne had been raped and strangled with her own shoelaces. According to reports, Anne's clothes and personal items were found near her body in the cornfield. Her body was located 200 yards into the cornfield, and the corn at that time was over 7 feet high, and thus why it took so long for her body to be discovered. Her official cause of death was strangulation. Her body would go on to be discovered by a farmer, the farmer of the cornfield, Lawrence Stafford. He said he was going out to pick corn, and that's when he found her body laying between two rows of corn. Now, in the days leading up to her body being discovered, there had been many search parties and billboards posted seeking help with the surrounding communities in finding Anne. After her body was discovered, there was an eyewitness who stated that they had seen Anne's car broken down alongside the road and that they hadn't stopped because they'd seen, and this is in quotes, a good Samaritan giving Anne a ride in their car. So Anne's car did break down. Someone saw it 
broken down, was going to stop but didn't because there was an unknown person who had picked Anne up in their car. Now, before we get into possible suspects, I will say if you or anyone you know may have any information for investigators on this case, again, this is an active case. They're actively investigating this one. You can call 1-812-332-4411 or 1-800-423-1286. This is a direct line to the investigator that is currently on this case. This is still some 44 years later, an unsolved yet active case. So at least it's active and they are researching this one, trying to make connections where they can find them. Now, an interesting side note, I will say, and one that I immediately focused on in this particular case, was that the murderer had strangled Anne with her own shoelaces. Now, if you remember back when we covered the murder of Kelly Eckhart, her murderer, Michael Overstreet, had strangled her with her own shoelaces, abandoned her car alongside the road, which to me was like a very interesting similarity. Like, what are the chances that someone would kill someone the same way and then the car was left in a similar state? Although I will say there is no way that Michael could have killed Anne as he would have only been 11 years old at the time of Anne's death. But I just found the similarities between how these two men killed their victims interesting and eerily similar to one another. Now, I can only assume that Anne's murder was highly covered in the papers. And if that coverage got to Michael somehow when he was younger, he may have taken some inspiration from it. I'm not sure. But I just wanted to state that because I thought it was interesting. Anyway, moving on. Like I said, this is an unsolved cold case, but one in which there have been and are currently possible suspects being investigated. Now, the main one in question is the serial rapist and serial killer, Jeremy Lynn Hand. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeremy Lynn Hand. I wasn't prior to this case. And before we get into how Jeremy may possibly be connected to Anne. Let's go ahead and give some backstory on Jeremy. Jeremy was stated to come from a broken home that was known to be abusive. He went on to marry and he had three children with his wife. Now, this was all while murdering, raping, and kidnapping women and men in the 1970s. Jeremy was recently connected to the death of Pam Millam. Now, what's interesting is that she was a 19-year-old Indiana State University student. So, Indiana State University is about an hour away from IU, Bloomington. And she went missing on September 15, 1972. Her body was found two days later by her father, who had been looking for his daughter, and he found her in the trunk of her car. She had been bound, gagged, beaten, assaulted, and strangled with a clothesline. She was found fully clothed, and due to there being no motive, Pam's death would go on to be unsolved for decades until in, ni- in 2019... There was a DNA match in the DNA found on Pam's body. The DNA was matched due to a GED match and Parabon Nanolabs, who had traced Jeremy's widow and children and thus was able to positively identify Jeremy's DNA being a match to the DNA found on Pam's body. In June of 1973, Jeremy would go on to be arrested for the murder and kidnap of an Evansville man named Jeffrey and his wife, Carol. Jeffrey and Carol were driving along highway 41 in evansville when they saw jeremy hitchhiking assuming he lived nearby carol and jeffrey picked jeremy up but when they reached evansville jeremy said he needed to go home and get something in a nearby farmhouse after they reached the house and jeremy got out of the car jeremy pulled out his .38 caliber revolver and aimed it at both jeffrey and carol saying that this was a holdup now both carol and jeffrey thought at the time that jeremy was joking this made jeremy angry and he fired at the roof of the car Jeremy got Carol out of the car and locked her in a nearby grain silo, all while forcing Jeffrey to bind Carol's hands. He then declared him and Jeffrey were going to go drive into town where Jeffrey would withdraw $400 from the bank as ransom. 
After bounding and locking Carol away in the silo, Jeffrey and Jeremy drove off. Carol was able to get free of her restraints and escape to a nearby house to get help, thus alerting authorities in Evansville. Jeremy would immediately be arrested by the police. After hours of intense questioning, Jeremy admitted to killing Jeffrey, and he led police and investigator to where he had buried Jeffrey's body, which he had dumped and buried alongside State Road 62 in Evansville. He would go on to be charged with a kidnapping for ransom, and while in prison, Jeremy tried to kill himself. Also while in prison and leading up to the trial, Jeremy refused to speak. Prosecutors sought the death penalty, but Jeremy was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He was immediately admitted to Norman Beattie Mental Hospital, where Jeremy remained in the hospital until 1976 when he was released. Okay, so that's pretty much his backstory up until now. Now let's get into how he is tied to Anne. In the meantime, after Jeremy was released from the hospital, Anne goes missing. So he gets out of the hospital... A few months later, Anne is missing. Meaning that Jeremy would have been out and was stated to have been in the same area at the time that Anne went missing. Four months after Anne's body would be found, Jeremy would be shot and killed by police. Jeremy, at the time of his crimes, was a delivery route driver who traveled mostly in Indiana and Illinois. Due to his good looks and young appearance, he perfectly blended in on college campuses, which is where he was known to have looked for his victims. Jeffrey would go on to be shot by police after an intense kidnapping. In 1978, Jeremy abducted a young woman by gunpoint at a shopping mall. Witnesses immediately called police and an off-duty deputy was in the area immediately responded to the scene. When the deputy went to search for his radio after arriving on the scene, Jeremy assumed he was going to pull his gun on him and Jeremy thus shot the deputy twice. Jeremy shot three more times, but missed, and then fled down a nearby alley. Two police officers continued to chase after Jeremy. While Jeremy was running, the police shot Jeremy three times, instantly killing him. In this timeline, Jeremy, if he is Anne's murderer, would have killed her between his release from the hospital and his death by police. Now, due to DNA testing not being readily available at the time of Anne and Pam's death, Jeremy was not connected to either of them. However, due to Pam's murderer leaving behind DNA, investigators were able to trace the DNA back to Jeremy. This was due to the DNA technology having been improved and due to Jeremy's wife and sons having submitted their DNA to one of the genealogy sites, which is where GED Match and Parabon Nanolabs comes in. With details of Jeremy's violent past released following his being the murderer of Pam, this caused an investigative journalist to remember Anne's murder case and let investigators know of the similarities. While they can't release specific details in Anne's case as it is an ongoing active investigation, we do know that investigators are actively comparing Pam's case to Anne's in order to hopefully find a connection and one that leads to Jeremy having been the murderer. Police also released a statement in which they stated that Jeremy was actively being investigated as the perpetrator of several other cold cases that took place between 1976 and 1978. However, as of today, Anne's killer has not been identified. I hope that, you know, with all of these new advances in DNA technology and tracing, Anne's family will be able to get closure and the investigators will be able to soon, hopefully, figure out who killed Anne. So that's today's story. It is a 
crazy one. You know, there were a lot of young women between the years of 1976 and 1978 that did go missing, and their either their bodies were never discovered or the murderer was never found, and they've all gone cold. And so it's really interesting to read up on this Jeremy Lin hand guy because apparently that his MMO of like how he would go after victims, the age of the victims that he typically would go after fit a lot of the missing cases from those specific times looking at Indiana and Illinois. And because he was a delivery driver, he would have had easy access to be able to be in the area for one and number two to just have easy access to those victims because there was multiple times that it was stated in the investigative reports of like how good looking he was and how young he was he would have been able to blend in on college campuses really easily without raising any suspicion so he's someone of interest for investigators and they're trying to tie him the most recent update I could find was that they were trying to link him to a uh, college student that was murdered in Wisconsin. Um, And they're getting pretty far along in that case. And hopefully we'll be resolving that one fairly soon. And they're all pretty sure that he was responsible for that. So it's just, it's crazy. This guy was really messed up. He like, his kidnapping, and he, he would do that in like, such an interesting way where he like also go after young men as well like not just women which is you know also harder to trace him to crimes you know because he he like would go after younger women but then also he just had like a sprinkling of kidnapping of men in there too anyway yeah so that it's just crazy and from what i could see there were multiple accounts of him having been in the martinsville brown county area during the time of which and went missing. So a lot of people seem to think that he was responsible for um, her murder, especially because, you know, she was assaulted and also strangled, which is what he did with Pam as well. I think it's just harder in Anne's case, it seems like, to link him and connect him to her death because there wasn't DNA found on Anne versus Pam had the DNA and so they were able to trace it back. But I hope that, you know, with Anne's cold case being still active now because of Pam's murderer being discovered and there being so many similarities between Pam's death to Anne's that they've reopened Anne's case and it is now active currently and so investigators aren't releasing any new details related to Anne because again actively researching it. So I hope that we'll get an update soon, both for like Anne's sake and the family's sake and like being able to have closure as to who would do that. It's so awful. It's so sad. It's so scary too. Like, you know, you're broken down along the road in a time in which there's no cell phone service, right? You have no way of notifying your family or anyone to come and help you. You can't call a tow truck. You're, you know, in the middle of nowhere alongside a highway. You kind of just have to rely on the good graces of people around you, you know, to help you in that situation. And then it just so happened that whoever picked Anne up that day was a rapist murderer. It's just so sad and so awful and so scary. I'm glad that they were able to find out who's responsible for Pam's death. And I hope, again, that they'll be able to discover who was Anne's murderer. 
it's so interesting, you know, there were a lot of cases, I mean, I can even think of on the IU campus between 1976 and 1978 of girls similar age to Anne that went missing. And so I, it seems like from what I've been able to read that this Jeremy guy probably has killed more people than is just stated that they know for a fact that he did. So, you know, he's responsible for two deaths, one kidnapping, but they're li- trying to link him to several active investigations that are going on um, that span that timeline. And because he's a delivery driver, I assume that they have records probably hopefully still on file of where he was at what time with that delivery route. So maybe they could also connect him through that way. So anyway, you know, shout out to investigators. Hope that, you know, DNA technology keeps on improving again like i've said it so many times everyone go out there and put your dna in one of those genealogy sites so that whoever is the murderer serial killer in your family gets discovered okay psa that's my that's my opinion today go out fill it out do you know there's so many 23andme uh ancestry dna there's so many pick one fill it out do your good samaritan work of today you know, and let's help investigators find who in our family is a serial killer slash murderer. It's it crazy that how much DNA technology has improved and how a you know quicker now I feel like people are being discovered for all these cold cases that happened 30 to 40 years ago. You know, and I keep hoping that it keeps improving and we can get faster, more efficient, and even better at tracing these people so that these cases can be closed, resolved, and the victims and the victims' families can get justice there. But yeah, that's the end of today's episode. That's all I have for you today. Next week, we're going in a non-true um, crime direction. We'll be talking about Browning Mountain. If you're not familiar with Browning Mountain, it is a mystical, magical place with possible alien activity, indigenous American burial grounds, and cursed land, question mark? We don't know. So check in next week to hear that mysterious episode relating to Browning Mountain, which is titled by locals, Brown County's own Stonehenge. So if that interests you and sounds fun, funky, and fresh, check in next week and we'll go over that in more detail. But until then, as always, stay safe, stay hydrated, and I'll see you next week. Bye!